0: Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 80 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They've had a whirlwind of a couple days. We record this podcast on a Tuesday morning in Lambeau Field in Wisconsin on Sunday night, back in East Rutherford on Monday to watch the Giants clean out the lockers and move on from the season after a 38-13 loss in the wild card round. The Giants looked in control early in that game. It all went awry. Odell Beckham dropped some passes. There was controversy. The Giants now stare at a very interesting offseason, uh, one after, I think, a good year, guys, but one that now opens up a lot of questions. James, we'll start with you. I heard you guys uh, on your video on NJ.com right after the game saying, you know, in totality, this was a good year for the Giants, but it's almost so hard to, to think about that for fans because, one, that game on Sunday was frustrating, and two, all of a sudden, immediately, the questions begin of what's next.
1: Yes. Uh, I wrote it in, in the story right after the game. When they went to Green Bay in Week 5 and they lost 23-16, I thought that the score was very deceiving, that the Giants had really kind of gotten manhandled in that game. The score was 38-13 on Sunday night. Again, I, I thought the Giants were actually closer to beating the Packers in this game than they were in the game where they only lost by a touchdown. They dominated the first half until the end there where Green Bay got the two scores and then they kind of pulled away in the second half. Uh this is a team that has a bright future. I, I think fans are disappointed about the loss. It was right there. They felt that they had the formula to maybe make a deep run into the playoffs. I think if the Giants had beaten the Packers, they would have gone to Dallas this coming weekend and, and felt that, like they were going to win that game and then you know get to the title game and then maybe the Super Bowl. But there is a strong core here going forward. I, I think they're closer than they looked on Sunday night to, to really being one of the top you know, contenders in the league. Now the question is, can they get those pieces that they need? Can they get them this offseason? And can they also kind of tamp down some of the issues they have in-house, starting with the fact that a bunch of reporters sat vigil by a hole in the wall for 30 minutes on Sunday night?
0: Yeah, and that was one of the stories, and obviously one of the negative stories that came out of that game. Odell Beckham did not play well, not close to the standards he set for himself, the hole in the wall. And then you have yesterday. So you guys fly home, uh, and on Monday the Giants – have their kind of state of the team, where Ben McAdoo speaks one final time with you guys as the season wraps up after the final game. Uh, Eli Manning, the whole crew, Jerry Reese. And, and Dan, there were some big takeaways from Jerry Reese on Monday afternoon about this team, about the future, um, specifically when it comes to the wide receiver and even the future of the quarterback. Jerry Reese had a lot to say on Monday.
2: Yeah, and it was a little out of character because, I mean, as you know, we've all kind of become accustomed, Jerry doesn't say a heck of a lot when he speaks to us, so... Uh, I'm not sure if he's just feeling a little more emboldened because uh, obviously he's earned a lot of praise, deservedly so, for what he did in the offseason and uh, he's sort of off the hot seat. But uh, it was definitely refreshing. He he was honest and and answered questions head on. Uh, you know, I think the biggest three things, and I know we're gonna dive into him deeper, was you know he talked very bluntly about Odell Beckham and, and their expectations for him and and the changes he needs to make. Uh, he spoke about Eric Flowers and. And actually, acknowledge the fact that they're going to evaluate the potential of moving him from left tackle, which I know was uh, you know music to the ears of, of many fans. And then also towards the end of the uh, press conference, you know, he acknowledged that it's time to really get serious about you know the successor for Eli Manning. Which I mean, that's kind of been the elephant in the room. I mean, the guy's thirty-six years old, but uh, it's the first time, as far as I'm aware, that Jerry has actually said, like, yeah, it's 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 really time to uh, to seriously look at that topic. So uh, those are you know the biggest three takeaways. But like I said, it was just. It was a different Jay Reese and it was nice to kind of hear what you know what he actually thinks and, and like I said he gave some insight
0: he did and it's it's not usual that he does that and, and gives you anything to really talk about he gave us a lot to talk about here let's start quickly with Eli and, and just to um, make sure all our listeners and, and everyone out there who takes the time to listen to our podcast knows we're going to do a, a much bigger deeper dive as the next couple of weeks go on on Eli about the future of the Giants and his career and how he performed and what they have to do. But just on the surface, James, to start with that comment, and then we'll get to all this Odell conversation that has really dominated you know, Giants fans' thoughts for a, a, a long time now, but certainly the last couple of days. On Eli, 36 years old, as Dan just said, two thoughts I had when Jerry spoke on Monday. One, like Dan was saying, he acknowledged the truth here. I mean, Eli's 36. I think the quote he used was, he's on the back nine, which was his generous way of saying he's getting older now. Um, and the second part is, if they're looking for the successor, how long do they think they have with them before they need that successor? It's almost like a, the window's still open, but we know it's going to close soon, type of thing.
1: Yeah. So I posted a story on NJ.com with, with Jerry Reese's uh, thoughts. i actually spoken to uh, NFL network analyst Charlie Casterly, who was the Redskins GM, the Texans GM, uh, recently, you know, about kind of get like a, a front office perspective of what he thinks the Giants should do going forward with, with Eli, obviously. Now thirty six. I think the Giants feel that he has a, a couple of good years left. I mean, he has three more years left on his contract, and and Cass really said, you know, that he, he hadn't seen him play live, but from what he had seen on film, it didn't look like there was any you know physical decline with Eli. And I think that the way Eli played against the Packers, especially in the first half, goes to show you that I, I think physically, you know, everything's there. I don't think he's he's definitely in decline yet. But at the same time, you know, yes, you know, Tom Brady is. is you know, 39 going on 40. Breeze is older than, than Eli. Obviously, Eli. You know, quarterbacks are playing well into their late 30s, but at the same time, you know, Peyton Manning it, it just kind of fell off a cliff all of a sudden. You know, Brett Favre just kind of broke down at the end. So I think the Giants have to, I think what Jerry said about you know being on the back nine was actually pretty pretty well said because he's on the back nine, and it's entirely possible that that Eli might get to the 18th hole and, and chip out for birdie and that's it, you know, and it all ends well, but there's also a chance that, you know, something could go awry on the 17th hole and he, he can't finish the back nine. So I think it's the giants have to be prepared that it, they hope that Eli finishes out his contract and they can reassess from there. But at the same time, you know, the guy's been healthy his whole career and I never really had to worry about this, but, you know, something could happen, you know, with health or, or physical decline or, you know, he just gets old all of a sudden and, and they don't want to be stuck with no option available to them.
0: Yeah. The parallel to me that I always think of when it comes to Eli, because one, he throws some interceptions. Two, he plays a lot of consecutive games. Um, three, he throws for a lot of yards and he's durable. Uh, you know, Brett Favre, you know, I, I don't think he's as great as Favre was, but there's some similarities there. And Dan, I look at the the statistics and the, the career of Brett Favre, Favre was just finishing his age 35 season uh, when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round. I'm not saying the Giants are going to find Aaron Rodgers in the bottom half of the first round, but it, it feels like that idea has got to be in their heads now, that if that quarterback that they see as the long-term guy behind Eli's there, it's it, the first time in a while I think Giants fans are going to start thinking about that when they look at the crop of quarterbacks because you know Favre played three more years with Green Bay and then, then it was Aaron Rodgers' time.
2: Yeah, no, I think this is the offseason. I don't, obviously, I don't think they can and just kind of keep it status quo for the simple fact they don't really have a backup quarterback under contract. I mean, they have uh, Keith Wenning, who they brought in late as a practice squad guy on a a futures deal, but I don't think anyone expects him to be the number two quarterback next year. But Josh Johnson, I mean, they could, you know, they could possibly bring him back. And I think Ryan Nassib's days are done. Uh, So, I mean, there really isn't a, a solid number two there. So, I think they absolutely have to address it in, in the offseason, one way or another. Maybe they just bring in a uh, you know a more veteran free agent or, or, or keep Josh Johnson to have someone. But even if you do that, you need to get someone young. I think to to bring along, like you said. I mean, it might not be. I mean, obviously, be great if it's an Aaron Rodgers caliber player. But I don't I don't think it's their. They have other needs that I don't think they can afford to use their twenty third pick on a quarterback. But I think you've seen teams like, you know, take the Patriots, for instance, you use that second, third, fourth round pick, and you can get a quality quarterback, you know, at that at that round. They obviously try to do it with Nassib, and uh, granted he can not get a chance because Eli's so durable, but I think, you know, the, there's enough evidence from the preseason that the Nassib, you know, isn't the guy, and, and that's fine, because again, he never had to play in those four years. So, uh, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, a priority. Again, I don't think it's the number one priority in the draft, but... Uh, I think they'd be, you know, seriously making a mistake if they don't use one of their mid-round picks to to get a young guy to groom. And like I said, maybe you, you keep a veteran around or bring a veteran in to be the number two guy to to really take the pressure off, you know, whoever that rookie quarterback would be. But uh, at some point, obviously, the the torch is going to have to be passed, and you know, Eli's got three years left, and I'm sure the Giants would love to see him, you know, flourish for those final three years. But uh, even at the end of that, you're going to need somebody in the waiting. So I think this is probably the year to to get that guy.
0: Yeah, it could be that year, and it could be that time for the Giants today. And yesterday, we were doing this podcast on a Tuesday, right after the season ends with the Giants loss. A lot went down, and Jerry Reese talked about a lot. Number one, and we started with Eli there, and we will talk more about that as other episodes go along in our podcast. But he also got into Odell Beckham Jr., and the story that's really taken over the NFL, not just the Giants, in his behavior, his play on Sunday, what happened the week before, if it had any sort of, impact on the way he played on Sunday. But I, I found it interesting, James, that he called him, and rightfully so, one of the faces of the franchise. And Eli has been the face of the franchise for a long time. Now, it feels like not only are the Giants thinking about, you know, eventually Eli's replacement, but you know they need Odell here to be special for them, not just because he's a special player, but he's got to take that torch, right? Like, not only do they have to find Eli's replacement at quarterback, but the ideal person to take the torch is the face of the Giants, the leader of the Giants. Would be Odell if he can be
1: that guy. Definitely. Look, I thought what Jerry said about Odell on Monday. One, I mean, it's just I thought it was it had to be said. It was obvious at this point. You know, look, Odell. I I don't. He's not a locker room cancer. Uh, He's not a guy. His teammates still support him and love him. You know, none of his teammates are are ripping him. You know, by publicly or privately to Dan and I. You know, they they seem to, but I do think there is kind of a sense, and, and I think Jerry kind of summed it up for the whole organization that it's time to grow up a little bit. You know, all of these various ishu- excuse me issues, and we'll, we'll get to the wall in a second. On its own, like if 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 they were just the only thing that happened, isolated incidents, I think people would just kind of you know move on. But. The bottom line is, and Steve Politi, our columnist, wrote this in his column off the game on Sunday, the Giants lost six games this year. We had some Odell-related controversy in five of those losses. That, that's just a ratio that you can't ignore, and it's got to stop at some point. He is a face of the franchise. I mean, look, this is still Eli Manning's team. Eli is still, still the face of the Giants, but you know, as you said, we're talking about when are they going to get Eli's replacement. Eli's not going to be here. The, the goal is that Odell will be here longer than Eli is. And when Eli leaves, Odell's going to be the face of the franchise. You know, the Giants, they consider themselves a public trust, I think, and they think that's important. And Odell's got to start, you know, being that face of the franchise. He has to start carrying himself in a way that represents the Giants better. And I think Jerry Reese maybe was at his wits' end privately and just said, I have to go public with this. And look, it's an interesting move by Reese. You know, he's pushing a button And we'll see how Odell reacts. What's your best guess, Dan, on what happened Sunday night in
0: Lambeau Field? I mean, look, Joe Buck and everyone took the cues from him during the Fox broadcast. And I thought he had to bring it up as the guy doing play-by-play on Fox for that game. But touched on what happened a week ago in Miami. And everyone had their opinions and made their jokes on social media about the Giants receivers and a boat in Miami. Beyond just that, because... I think we could all agree whatever happened on that boat probably had very little to do with what happened Sunday. But there's more to it. I mean, was it in his head? Was it the cold? What do you think happened to him before we get to the punch in the wall and not talking to you guys on Monday? Why did he play so poorly? Why did a great player play so poorly in such a big spot? Your best guess, Dan?
2: I think Eli summed it up really well. It's not that he went on a party boat in Miami six days before the game. Is that's not why he played poorly, but what that you know action produced hung over him all week he's clearly an emotional passionate guy and i think he got himself so worked up that he wanted to prove everybody wrong i mean there was the thing with them coming out shirtless now to me in the pregame i thought that was just to kind of be macho and tough guys but people always try to assign deeper meanings and i think sometimes odell has deeper meanings and was it almost a jab like oh you know we're shirtless on Monday, and now we're shirtless on Sunday. I don't think that was necessarily the case. But again, you never really know with him because he does seem to you know, pre-orchestrate a lot of his actions. But again, I just think it was something that hung over him, and it raised the expectations even higher. And listen, as, as great as he is, I mean, we've seen you know, a guy like LeBron, who's a, a friend of his, come up small in big moments too. And obviously, he's well past that hurdle. But it happens to guys, and certain guys are wired a certain way. And I think Odell has very high standards for himself, and really wanted to prove people wrong. Because you know, if he had had a great game, he would have had a lot to say probably about the commotion that was made about the boat. So I think he was like like Eli said, a little too wound up for this. I mean, and, and Eli's obviously the the you know, perfect foil to that. I mean his his blood pressure never rises, and and obviously Eli played great on Sunday. He would have had a, he would had a great game if, if Odell and the rest of the receivers you know did their part. So I think that was the biggest thing. I obviously I do not think the boat impacted his performance but the hoopla that came from the boat which he had to know what happened I mean he's he's been around long enough he knows everything he does draws scrutiny I mean you just put him and Justin Bieber in a club in Miami it's gonna be all over social media he had to know there'd be a reaction to it and I think that that's why when you just look back the trip was just unnecessary because it created a distraction and I do believe that it did have an impact on his performance in kind of a roundabout way like I described
1: what I Go ahead, James. Odell kind of made that comment in in his press conference, which, it, according to all the timelines we have, was before he you know had his interaction with the wall. You know that it the the boat trip did a good job of. He basically was I from what I, I I think he was asked to follow up. I wasn't in the room. He didn't really clarify. He basically seemed to be saying that you know like the media made the the boat trip wasn't a distraction, but the coverage and the attention paid to the boat trip was it dis- I mean like I, I think it's not just the boat trip. I mean, you know, Odell, I, I agree I think Dan's right. What Eli said is pitch perfect. You know, he put so much pressure on himself. But, you know, going out on the field without a shirt on and, and going back earlier in the week, you know, running around the locker room with, with the with the Lucha Libre mask on, like that also contributed I, I probably to the pressure. I mean it just it feels like a lot of times the spotlight has to be on him. And he's bringing the spotlight onto him. But then when it doesn't work out well, it's suddenly it's other people's fault that the spotlight's there. And I think that's the big thing that you know they have to focus on is that if he's going to do these things, he's got to live up. You know, Look, I don't think the boat trip had anything to do with them winning or losing this game on Sunday. I said that a week ago when we were first talking about it. But it's, it's a, he's got to carry this now. He went on the boat trip, and he, did, he was a no-show in the first playoff game of his life. People are going to tie those two things together for the rest of his career. He's got to accept that and deal with it and move on from that. And I think that's what the Giants have to impress upon him. He, he created all of this. Now he has to overcome it himself.
0: Yeah, he did create it. And then now this you know he made his bed. Now he has to lie in it. And I wonder, and James, we'll start with you on this. You guys interact with Giants fans on an everyday basis. Every time you write anything or tweet anything, you get instant reaction, and anytime there's a great player, we, we've seen this especially in New York, when you're as high as Beckham has been, you're as loved as anybody in the city, and then when you fall, it's it's a quick fall. Like People will turn on you if they don't perceive what you're doing to be in the best interest of the football team. Do we get any sense that Giants fans are turning on what Odell is in totality? I mean, there's no one questioning what kind of player he is. He's a tremendous player on path to being an all-time great wide receiver, but Do you think Giants fans are getting a little tired of whether you call it the act or the antics or just everything that goes into
1: this receiver? I don't think so. I I get the feeling, and Dan, tell me if you disagree or agree with me, that like 10% of the fan base is probably sick of Odell and wants him traded tomorrow. Other 10% just has decided that like this is all the, the media's fault and like it's just, you know, the persecution of Odell and we're ridiculous and everything. I think like 80% of the fan base probably see it for what it is. He's a supremely talented, gifted player who needs to kind of mature a little bit. Uh, that's how I would read the fan base at this point.
0: Dan, your thoughts on on Odell and how he's perceived right now?
2: Yeah, I think that's you know probably pretty accurate. I think there's probably maybe a bigger segment of the fan base that we at least interact with that are a little more defensive of Odell. Because, again, I think, James, that word was good about the persecution, like – I mean, there were people saying, "Why did why did people report the whole punching the wall?" I mean, why why wouldn't we? we? We're reporters. I mean, if he did it in the shower or something, no one would ever know. He did it in a place that was you know occupied by reporters. Of course, we're going to report it. Just like everyone reported when Kevin Brown you know punched the clubhouse wall back in the playoffs in I think it was 2004, and Amari Stoudemire I think everyone remembers punched a fire extinguisher. I mean, you you punch something as a professional athlete, you're probably going to probably going to report about it. And, and the thing about that too is, I mean people are like, oh, he's just so passionate. Well, there's a lot of passionate guys in the NFL. 200 of them lost on Sunday or Saturday, and none of them punched a wall and, and made a scene. So I, I think James made a good point earlier, too, about the attention. I mean, this guy knows he's going to draw a lot of attention, and <laughs> punching a hole in a wall is going to get attention. You know, there's, there's ways to handle your, your rage or your passion that isn't going to draw attention. And I think with uh, one of the things Jerry Reese said that I, I think I made the point earlier in the season too when, when we were kind of having one of these Odell uh, you know, psych evaluations. He's a smart guy. If he was just a, a knucklehead, and there's plenty of them in professional sports that are great athletes and don't, you know, don't have it all going on upstairs, you just kind of you know, throw your hands up and say, oh man, like DeMarcus Cousins or whoever, we got to just deal with this guy as best we can. Odell is intelligent. He gets it. You, you speak to him he's a, he's a articulate guy so the message just isn't getting through but that's why i think it's so frustrating for jerry because i'm sure he sits down in his office and has a very intelligent que- uh, conversation and he probably walks away thinking okay odell gets it now and then he goes out and basically has a, you know a relapse if you want to call it that so i think that's the biggest thing with him is he, he's a he's a smart guy and it's just at some point you have to grow up and I think that's you know jerry used those words and i think that's exactly what it is because Again, people lose. The the fiercest competitors in the world lose, and it's not always a scene. Like you said, five out of six times this year there was some post-game or in-game kind of scene with this guy. I mean, again, uh, to use his buddy LeBron, I mean, he's a guy who gets a ton of scrutiny, probably as much as Odell. Hard for me to think of a time where, you know, he's had a temper tantrum after a game that's become national news. There's just ways to handle these things, and I think this is a big time, because, again, his, his talent is undeniable, and, again, even if he... Remains kind of this loose cannon his whole career. He's still going to be in the Hall of Fame because he's just so talented. But there's a way to do it, and and just not always kind of create the distraction or put all the attention on you. And I think that's all they want because again, he is going to be the face of the franchise. But they're probably not super comfortable with him being the face of the franchise uh, with his current temperament. So I think they just want to see that change. I know that was not the question at all, but th- those are just some of the Odell thoughts that have been kicking around in my head the last 24 hours. Well,
1: I think the worst thing that could happen to the Giants is, you know, 18, 20 years from now, they're putting Odell into the ring of honor, and people are sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, he, he was good, but he, wow, he really could have been great, and it just never happened. And, you know, you know, we could have won three Super Bowls with him, but, you know, we only got there once, and so we got, you know, blown out by the Patriots. I mean, I, that's why I think the fear is that, you know, Odell, you know, people want to compare him to LT, and, you know, he was wearing the LT jersey, you know, and, and he has that sort of generational ability, but, you know, I, I think the, 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 the LT comparison, oh, well, that's thing that fans keep would say, well, LT did things that were ten times worse. Well, first off, totally different era. Second off, LT's the greatest defensive player in the history of the NFL. Odell's not even the best receiver in football right now. You can't compare the two yet. He's got a ways to go to be at LT's level. And he probably can get there, but I think they have to kind of nip this stuff in the bud if he's going to get there. Yeah, the hard part for me, and there's so much to unpack with
0: him. One, some of this does feel contrived, like what happened with the the hole in the wall, if that turns out, if the investigation turns out to um, put Odell as definitely the guy that did that. And then, what happened in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago? Like, the, whatever that was, he was growling or just making some weird noises because he was upset in the in the hallway down below in, in Lincoln Financial Field. That stuff feels contrived. And then this, I mean, Dan, you said LeBron, and we were talking about these other athletes over the years that have had, you know, the spotlight on them. I can't think of one that's ever been quite like him. Like, it's almost like the other stuff that we talk about with athletes that have issues. It's almost easier to understand because we've seen so many of the same kind of story before whether it's an off the field thing whether it is penalties whether it is a a lack of work ethic he checks all the boxes for that stuff it's just like once in a while he becomes unhinged and I think it takes him out of the game like that game against Carolina last year uh when he got all those penalties with with Norman like I thought for two quarters he just wasn't in the game because wherever the heck his head was Sunday when he started dropping the football I started thinking Where's his head again? Like he loses himself in the middle of the game and you never know when it's going to happen.
2: Yeah, no, I think that is the case. I think that is something that maybe he, he did make some strides at because, uh, the two Norman games this year, uh, you know, he just played football and didn't get too caught up in that. He definitely had some, some issues there in that Minnesota game, but I think for the most part, he did a good job. I'm not sure if, you know, the green Bay thing was, was necessarily fits in that box, but, um, Again, it just it does he does get in his own head, I think, and and then he also he has to acknowledge that he he created this. I mean, it's 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 maybe it's not fair, maybe it's you know whatever, but it's the reality that now every time he does something, it's going to draw more scrutiny. If if Will Ty punched a hole in the wall, you know maybe it gets a passing notice and people say, well, that's not fair. Why does Will get more attention? Well, that's kind of the burden that comes with you know being this superstar athlete and also being one who you know craves and and wants the spotlight. I mean. Listen, the guy, he, this is kind of silly, but he could just have a you know, close-cropped haircut and, and not have a dyed you know uh, bleach blonde. That would h- help him probably not have quite as much attention. Again, it's, it's his hair. He can do what he wants, and it's kind of part of his image. But a lot of things he does, like you said, are, are intentional. Like he wants attention. So everything you do is going to be magnified. And again, you, if you're an Odell fan, if you're Odell himself, you might not think that's fair. But back to what Eli said, perception becomes reality, especially in the NFL – and especially in this market. I mean, we were having a discussion not too long ago. I don't think fans could recognize most NFL players without their helmet on, outside of maybe quarterbacks. Like, I think Julio Jones could probably walk in a room and people might not know who he is. Odell has clearly broken the mold from that, and it, it's had a great benefit for him. I mean, he's got more endorsements than any other wide receiver, I'm sure. And, and he's made himself a household name and, and just, you know, a universally known figure. But there's some downsides to that. And he hasn't quite mastered the balance of having all the attention for all the things he wants and then not drawing attention for negative things. Yeah, uh, I mean, the video, that Lyft video, uh, the one that, that everyone talked
0: about last week when he did that thing for Lyft, and that was the whole thing. As soon as he took his his hat off, his hair was, you know, you could see his hair and everyone knew who he was. They didn't know who the guy was when he had the beanie on, and <laughs> then he took the beanie off and you could see his hair and it was like, oh wow, it's Odell Beckham Jr. So yeah, that... It's certainly part of his persona. A lot's part of his persona. And how
1: he evolves is going to be a big part of how the Giants Joe, continue to. One last thing before we – i, I it sounds like we're going to move off of Odell. When it comes to athletes versus the wall, the wall has got at least a 900 winning percentage. So that to me, I just don't get why he felt the need to punch the wall. I understand he's angry, but look, it, all indications are he didn't hurt his hand. But especially for a guy who had a bad thumb all year. To punch a wall is just – I mean, what are you accomplishing by punching a wall other than you might break your hand? I, I just don't get that part of it.
0: Yeah, you know, like Dan said, the, the, the list of athletes that have punched a wall, it usually ends poorly for the athlete, right? Whether it be Amari or Kevin Brown. And, and usually those, those players are, are labeled hotheads or, or, you know, that sticks with them. Like that will not go away. Hopefully for Odell, this does – you know, it's a footnote in a great career. But it's, it's part of a story. There's a lot of footnotes so far. Uh, in this kid's story, along with great play on the field. So Odell's you know, evolution here is going to be a major part of the Giants' future. Eli's future, both in the short term and long term, and how they go about that is going to be a major part of this offseason. Jerry Reeson, we touched on it to begin this. Let, let's do a couple quick hitters on the other things he mentioned uh, in kind of the state of the Giants. Dan, you mentioned Eric Flowers, and he's been a story all year. Again on Sunday against the Packers, he was beat, um, he was beat around the edge. Eli had some issues because of pressure from uh, Eric Flowers. He hasn't looked like a left tackle to me a lot of the year, and now the Giants, for the first time, you know, acknowledging they might not play at left tackle long term.
2: Yeah, I mean that that was quite an admission because again, uh, they were pretty stubborn all offseason. Uh, you know, they they couldn't attract some of these quality veteran tackles around the market because they they were saying we have our left tackle. You'd have to come in here and play right tackle. And that obviously wasn't appealing to guys who had played their whole career at left tackle. Uh, now the problem is, and again, fans are, are kind of quick to criticize Reese, and and justifiably so in this case. Uh, it's a year too late, probably, because now all those guys have signed, and then and the market's much thinner uh, this off season. So now that they're finally willing to say, well, maybe we got to you know change where this guy plays. Well, now you, then you're going to have a gaping hole at left tackle. Now that might be better than having a turnstile left tackle, but it, it's still not ideal. So. Uh, that's gonna be really interesting. I mean, obviously, Reese didn't commit to it. Hey, we're gonna play him at right tackle or, or even guard. But it sounds like the only way Flowers will be back at left tackle, in my opinion, would be if they strike out either in the draft, and and I don't think they're gonna get a franchise left tackle at you know a twenty three uh, or in free agency. And again, there is not a lot of great options. But just the fact that that Reese was put that out there was pretty telling to me because at the same time it, it was kind of obvious you can't you can't keep this guy there. He's he's literally been the worst left tackle in the NFL the last two years. I mean, that's, that's unacceptable, and it really has hindered this offense. And, you know, you talk about Eli's struggles. Well, I think it might contribute a bit when you're always worried you know, you're going to hit in the back every time you drop back to pass. So it's something that needs to be addressed. But, again, it was just a little bit refreshing more than anything that Jerry Reese didn't just stiff arm those questions. He acknowledged kind of the obvious, and now the question is, how does Jerry go about fixing it? Yeah, I'm
0: looking at the list here, James, of these uh, free agent tackles, and it's a a barren list. I mean, the biggest name, best name might be Matt Khalil, who might be the Vikings version of Eric Flowers, drafted high, probably not really a left tackle. So there doesn't seem to be a perfect option there if they really want to do this.
1: No, I mean, you look at the free agents. I mean, Andrew Whitworth, sensational left tackle, but he's 34 years old, and he's probably going to want to go back to Cincinnati anyway. I mean, Khalil just had major hip surgery. And as you said, he he's a guy who struggled as well. So you don't know what you want to do with him. You know, do you want to go get a right tackle? I, I think the the right tackle market might be a little bit better. I think like Sebastian Vollmer from the Patriots is a guy who, whose name rings a bell. He'll be available. But do you want to move a right tackle to left tackle? Uh, in the draft, it's very light tackle class. I mean, the kid from Alabama, Cam Robinson, is probably the best tackle, but he's not going to be there at 23. Look, oh, the Giants. It's a in my opinion. This is like one of the biggest decisions they have to make this offseason because it's really going to set dominoes falling in either direction. I think the bottom line is the Giants desperately needed Eric Flowers to make it at left tackle, given the fact that you know, as Dan said, they they didn't really pursue some of the options they maybe had in the offseason this past year because they were st- sticking with him. I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't think it's a definite at this point that, that Flowers moves because I'm not sure if they can do much better. I mean, you I you obviously could trade for a Joe Thomas or a Joe Staley, but then you're you're giving up draft picks that you would need elsewhere. And I don't even know if the Browns are gonna wanna trade, you know, Joe Thomas at this point. Now that they seem to have some mojo going forward in twenty seventeen. So Reese is in a tough spot. You know, if they if they understand they have to move Flowers, then I think they're gonna do that. But they're going to have a hard time you know, scraping together a better option, I think. Yeah, they might. And they might be stuck here with Flowers again in Eli's
0: waning years, which doesn't seem to be a great combination. The last thing we'll touch on for this episode uh, is Jerry Reese and JPP, right, and the idea of the Giants' free agents. JPP spoke on Monday, doing this podcast on a Tuesday, about his impending free agency. And, Dan, I look at the Giants, and I think they could be just as good next year, maybe better, because they have a lot of young guys around Eli, and they could improve, and the defense should be good again next year. But JPP, although they played well without him for the most part, they, he's a big part of what they do. And uh, he's not going to be as easy to bring back this coming offseason as he was last year.
2: No, as much, you know, there's a lot of truth being told yesterday over there. And I don't think JPP's was probably as well received because he didn't come out and say anything about a hometown discount. You know, he gave the, you know, the lip service that he wants to be back. But it seems pretty clear to me that he wants to cash in. And hey, you can't blame him. He understands he's basically taken a discount the last two seasons, you know. And hey, that's his own doing. That's his own fault for you know having the fireworks accident. But that's you know you can't change the past. If I'm JPP, I said okay, I took a discount the last two years. I'm 27, 28. I forget what he is. It's my last chance to cash in. You know, he's this is his last chance to get that big deal. He's not looking for a one-year deal. He's not even looking for the franchise tag, even though that's a lot of money. He wants to, you know, set himself up for his future, and so that means, you know, uh, an Olivier Vernon type deal. Now, do the Giants want to spend that much money on JPP? I mean, I think as far as on the field, uh, JPP played as well as Vernon this season. But five years, eighty-five million dollars for another te- uh, defensive end seems uh, unlikely. So, but someone will probably pay it, and that's where the issue arises. If you ask me, I mean, maybe not to that extent, but I think there's going to be teams that look at what JPP did this year. He certainly went above and beyond as far as proving that he can play, as he said, with seven and a half fingers. I mean, he's as good as guys who have 10. I mean, that, that's, that much is not in doubt. I mean, I think he proved a lot this season uh, that he's still an elite defensive end in this league. Uh, and I think the Giants, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this because they do need him back. I, I don't care that the defense still played well after he went down. Romeo Howard is not even in the same stratosphere as JPP. He had the one good start against Dallas, and you didn't hear his name again. And that's fine. He's an undrafted free agent put in a tough situation. But my point is, there isn't ah so, oh, well, you know, we have somebody behind JPP who can step in and, and kind of give you what he got, gave you. There isn't. So uh, if you let JPP walk, then you have to go sign a second tier free agent to take his spot. It, it's just it's a tough, it's a tricky situation to, to navigate. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. But my biggest takeaway from yesterday is there will be no hometown discount. He probably feels like he's done that, you know, at least this past season. So now it's time for JPP to to go out and and, and get what the market bears. It is, and I'm sure that guy's going to want to get paid. It's one of the many decisions the Giants have
0: to have over the next couple weeks and months. The Giants have a different offseason this year than last year, but, but one that's almost just as vital as they try to now take what they built the first year with McAdoo and move it forward into something bigger and better for next year. Guys, it's been a fun season. We'll continue these podcasts throughout the offseason. Our next one, or one of the next ones we do as we plan out our offseason, will definitely be a deep dive into the future of the quarterback position, Eli Manning, what he did, what he has left, and where the Giants go from here. James, as always, thanks for doing this.
2: My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you, Joe. It's been a really fun uh, first season on the beat. It's been great. Great having you. Uh, the podcast's
0: been great for a full season. Now we get to go into an even different and, and almost in some ways more fun time than breaking down games, the offseason and all that has to come with free agency, the draft, and Giants decisions. We'll be back soon on Talk is Cheap. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You could find ours. Leave us a rating. It helps the show grow right here on NJ.com.